You are listening to T-Mac and Cookie Monster on the Radiant Culture Podcast. Podcast. Engaging an exciting conversation on life, God, and pop culture. Every week on the Radiant Culture Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Radiant Culture. I'm your host, Cookie Monster. And I'm the man with the most biscuit. Hey, the man with the mostest. Mr. Biscuit, how's it going? It's going good, man. It's going yeah. good. It's been a minute. It's been a minute indeed. Yeah, you guys have been doing okay without me, eh? Yeah, yeah, pretty you much. Could do better, yeah. though. Cookies, better. biscuits, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Audience uh, seems to prefer cookies. So, you know, we'll give them what they want. Um, they know no better. What <laughs> <you say. laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right, and tonight we're, we're joined by <laughs> two wonderful guests. Um, we have Wasu. Wasu was with us last week. Good to in be the with you again. Episode. Uh, good to have you back. And then the one and only Kuwaza. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It looks like tonight is, is uh, well, today is an all boys show, so I think we can. Yeah. No. Yeah. We can just go all out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. So tonight we're gonna be carrying on with the conversation that we started last last week, which was on the Old Testament versus the New Testament. And in the previous episode, we ended up camping on the subject of giving and tithing. Uh, well, yeah, in the Old Testament versus in the New Testament. And I think it was quite a, an interesting topic because <laughs> it's a big topic. And I think we touched on some very key things there and we had Pastor Craig with us. So tonight we're going to be carrying on, but we're not going to be talking about the giving side of things. We're going to be... Um, Focusing on other areas. Yeah. yeah. So basically tonight, um, I, what, what we want to do is talk about uh, some differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What things um, in the Old Testament still apply to the New Testament. And we're going to talk about things like, you know, Sabbath. Why do some people still acknowledge the Sabbath? Uh, and why do most churches meet on a Sunday? Is that significant? Is the Sabbath now just a a term, a ceremonial term that doesn't really have any significance anymore? Or does God actually expect us to uphold that? So we're yeah. going to, and, and many other things. I think the conversation will just kind of um, flow as we go. So I guess we can start there, you know, that um, Kuwaza and, and Wasu, since you're here with us, um, I think the first question that I, that I have is just carrying on from last week, the old versus the new, Right. What key differences are there? Maybe we can start there. Okay. What, yeah, what, what key differences are there between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Different number of books? Yeah. For starters, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the actual number, by the way? Um, the 66. Uh-huh. In the, uh, and then there's uh, it's 39 old, 27 for the new. All right. Well, I think we need to say it is, it's one book. Yeah, uh, and it's pretty much uh, letters that come together that fit one book, and the old is pointing to the new. Mm -hmm. The new references the old thousands of times. You know, over a thousand references to the old quotes actually uh, of the Old Testament in the new. So you could say the Old Testament has quite a lot of new in it. In fact, I got some stats here. Oh yeah. If if you want to hear some of the stats of the different times, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament more than a thousand times. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, refer to the Old Testament an average of three to four times per chapter. 
of the 39 books in the Old Testament, Jesus, in the book of Revelation, makes reference to 31 of the 39 books in the Old Testament. And in the 22 chapters of Revelation, there are 228 references. That's almost 10 times per chapter referring to the Old Testament. So this is quite a lot. There are actually only four New Testament books that don't have a direct quote from the Old Testament. That's Philemon and 1, 2, and 3 John. Those are the only books that don't reference or speak into the Old Testament, quote the Old Testament. So that's quite a lot of times the New Testament refers to the Old. So it is one solid book, the Bible, uh, where both Old and New Testament come together. The Old points to Jesus, so what's in the Old concealed is in the New revealed. Uh, You may have heard of that one. And it's all about Jesus, (laughs) pretty much. So that's the one common thread of the old and the new. And I would never pit them against each other or say the old versus the new. They yeah. complement one another and are actually woven together by Jesus. He's the ultimate champion of the whole book and it's all about him. And I think those are some pretty interesting facts because just putting it that way that, you know, I think naturally we tend to separate them, right? Because the Old Testament is like a section it's its own section. <laughs> then there's this gap after Malachi, and then the new begins. So um, often it's very difficult to actually view them as as one thing that's got a common thread. Mm. Um, so I think that that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, Biscuit. Well, I think I I too fully agree that they are complementary, and one is leading into the next. I guess the issue that most people have isn't necessarily that one leads into the next in so much as they're thinking that one supersedes the other Mm. and that one um, overrides everything that's been said in the previous, in the prior, because it's like new. So it's the new improved of the old. So we must ignore whatever was being said in the old because there's a lot of stuff there that people are like, I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if we want to. Uh, and and I guess the whole idea is that we're now in in, in grace zone, yeah. which is supposedly completely different from what was prior. And I guess that's the question that most people have: um, where where is that correct? Is that correct? Um, or or have we got it like totally wrong? Okay. Um, so I think that's a very important question, and you know it's very difficult sometimes to work your way around. Okay, what's Yes, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they complement each other and they feed into each other. But there's stuff in the Old Testament that you think, okay, so you're talking about, you know, uh, a bull that gores uh, a woman who's pregnant, you know. If that bull does that, you know, and there's intent and the owner knew it and all this kind of thing, there are different ways that you deal with it. You know, you kill the bull or you, you and the person has to do restitution, all that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, mm, I live in H-Town, you know, yes. and not too many bulls around. So how do I put that into practice? You know what I mean? So, yeah, you, you, you do understand where people come from when they say that. I would say that uh, one of the most important things in understanding and, you know, interpreting the Bible is to realize that, uh, you know, Revelation is progressive. So God, throughout Genesis to Revelation, is progressively revealing himself and his nature and a lot of things uh, concerning uh, this great salvation that we have. Uh, And, you know, one interesting part of it is where he says to Moses, for, for instance, my name is Yahweh, I will be what I'll be, you know, uh, the fathers knew me as El Shaddai, but by this name I did not reveal myself to them. So you can see God is actually keeping tabs on the revelation that he has 
and saying, I didn't reveal this to these guys, but I'm revealing this to you now. And you see throughout, you see guys coming through and saying he's Jehovah Nisi. Then you see someone else coming through and saying he's Jehovah our peace. And you see this progressive unfurling, if you like, of who he is and what his purposes are. And so that's one thing we need to understand about the Bible. And also in light of that, we are to interpret the old in light of the new. So we go to the new, because the new is, as, 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 you know, as Sean has said, is the new is the old, you know, is old revealed. So, okay, what is in the New Testament, what's in the old? If the New Testament says this, is, this was a shadow and finds this fulfillment in Christ, yeah. then we take that to mean whatever is in the old that has been called a shadow, I'm not going to live by that. I'm not going to live by the reality that the New Testament writers, you know, are giving to us in that context. So maybe let's let's touch on that a little bit. When we speak of certain things being shadows, right? That there's certain things in the, that the old is a shadow, shadow. of the new. Mm. <laughs> what does that actually mean, right? And uh, practically as well, when something is a shadow of something, it means that now the the real thing has come. So. Does that then mean that the old has become obsolete? And in fact, maybe yeah, just that. What what does that actually mean practically? Can I can I tag on to that? Yeah, sure. Um, it, you made me think of um, in high school we used to get these um, little little Bibles that were pretty much just the Gideon's the gospel. Yeah, mm-hmm. just just the gospel. And you were basically taught that that's all you need mm. to go and minister. If if you're gonna give anything to anyone, give them <laughs> this, as though. Every Everything else was just hey. If you feel like some light <laughs> yeah, reading, I I, go I, I, get my, that. <laughs> so too, yeah. yeah, so to tag on to what uh, Cookie is saying, is mm. it really like can I just be a Christian and say you know what I don't read the Old Testament? I flip through it, but I don't need to read it. Yeah. I'm okay, okay with the Gospels. Okay, that's a yeah. very good question. Um, but it sounds like a two-part question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I don't know if Sean, if you want to uh, handle that or. I think when we look at a shadow, yeah. so say someone's coming round the corner, you can't see them yet, but you see a, a shadow extending out and you think, wow, it's one color. Normally a shadow hasn't got many details. You can just see an outline of it and you don't fully know the full details of, of what's coming. And I think that's similar to some of the shadows in the Old Testament is that there was this expectation, this kind of grand expectation of something that was coming that we couldn't fully see, couldn't fully know, and then Jesus fulfilled it all. All the promises and all the, even all the laws, 613 laws fulfilled in one person, Jesus. So it was all point, every shadow was pointing to Jesus, and he gets to come on the stage as the light of the world, the one to whom all these shadows point to, and we get to see him, to see his face. See, in, in the Old Testament, we couldn't see God's face. Anyone who, who looked upon God would die because right. of their sin. Even Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of that rock. But in the New Testament, because of God's grace towards us, his love for us, it's no longer a shadow. We get to gaze on the goodness of God because of Jesus, what Jesus did and accomplished in the New Testament for us. So that's what we're talking about, I think, about a, a shadow in the Old Testament of things pointing to something with great anticipation and expectation of what's coming is far better than what's there. And I think the New Testament fulfills for us or gives us uh, far more than Adam ever lost in the garden. Right. So, so there's so much more to be gained in the New Testament than Adam ever lost 
by his first sin in the garden. And that was beautiful. Eden was amazing. And in Christ, we have far more than what Adam lost through his sin in the garden. And all the Old Testament was about sin, dealing with sin. How do I deal with my sin? And most of it was to do with blood and sacrifice and mm -hmm. keeping these laws that no one could keep. And so daily they had to come and present these sacrifices, which was a shadow of the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, in the New right. Testament, who came, born of a virgin Mary. And I think that's pretty much the story of the Bible, is a God who loves us and who wanted to show us the story in shadow form <coughs> in, in different ways. And, yeah, do you want to add to that? Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe he can maybe not add, on but may tag on to what uh, yeah, part yeah. two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess, I think what's important to understand about the Old Testament is to kind of, if you can uh, figure out as a, say, as a library of books mm. with sections. So you've got the first five books, which is your law section. Then you've got the next uh, few books, which is the 13 books, which are history books. And then after that, you've got uh, your uh, wisdom books, which is about four of those. And then you've got uh, 17 uh, prophetic writings. So those are your four libraries. And, you know, if you say to yourself, I'm, never gonna, I'm not going to read the Old Testament, there's a whole section of wisdom that you're not going to access which is not just, you know, talking about shadows. and I mean, there is the stuff about shadows when you go to the law and you look at uh, the sacrifices, you look at the temple and the tabernacle and it's set up and the curtain and all that kind of stuff, and it's all also dealt with in Hebrews, then that's shadow. But then there's also other aspects like the history, you know. Um, so you can come into the New Testament, hear Jesus talking about why people should never divorce because in the beginning it was not so. Uh, he said the two shall become one flesh. You know, for this reason, a man shall... And that's in the Old Testament. Yeah. So you say to yourself, I, I, I'm, I'm not bothered with the Old, but Jesus was bothered enough to bring it into the New. Mm. Um, and not just the, the issue. And then, you know, the prophetic books are speaking of things that also came to pass, pointing to Jesus, but also pointing to certain events that are going to come, like mm -hmm. the new heavens and the new earth. Yeah. You look at Daniel speaking about uh, the end times and even speaking about empires that came and went, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff there that if you say, I'm not going to read the Old Testament, you're going to miss out on. Mm -hmm. And also realize that if God, in his infinite wisdom, says, I'm inspiring this mm. book, and he puts the Old Testament in there, to not read the Old Testament is to basically be saying to God, you didn't know what you were doing. You should just have given us the New Testament, our little Gideon's Bible. We would have been fine. Right. Uh, and which is you know, completely, yeah. you know... Yeah. Uh, Bunkum, sorry, if I can use that word. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says all scripture, that includes the Old Testament, mm -hmm. uh -huh. is profitable. It's yes. useful for yes. uh, teaching, for rebuking, for reproof, for correction, mm. and for training in righteousness. So the, so the way we become like Jesus or righteous is by using the whole of scripture to help us to become, to live a righteous lifestyle, is to become righteous. I like that you've pointed out uh, it's it's useful for teaching and rebuking and so on. And, uh, and I think that is one of the areas that uh, both Testaments are most used for, of course, mm. the Bible. <laughs> um, but the Old Testament may be more so than anywhere else because there are, a lot, uh, there are explicit rules within mm. the Old Testament, explicit directions. So where, I guess my question would be, what is... If it's all useful, what is still to be acted on today and what has been changed 
in how you're meant to deal with it. I, I, I guess that, I don't know if my question is making sense. Is uh -huh. it making sense? Yeah, so, okay. so let's, let's just be simple. It says, the, the Old Testament says, don't steal. And then uh, someone says, no, now it's, uh, you're now meant to look at the heart of a person. So uh, give them grace. But you're like, okay, but they stole. So it says, don't steal. There's a rule there. And it's like, no, no, that's Old Testament. Now we must be a bit more forgiving, let him keep stealing for a while or whatever, and just work it out. I don't know where do the rules or where do the, the, the statements of the old affect what we do now that we're living in the dispensation of the new. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the new dispensation. <laughs> dispensation of the new. Yeah, this is going to be a very interesting subject, a very interesting topic. I, th I think... Uh, the first thing we need to look at when we, when we talk about the law in the Old Testament is to, uh, first of all, realize what the law was given for and what it was not given for. Um, I think one uh, scripture that I want to make reference to is um, in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. And it says, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly, just like any, anything else. You mm -hmm. know, you, if you use it properly, it's good for that. And then it goes on to verse 9 and it says, We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and, or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that, is, that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. So it says that the law is not for the righteous, but it, it's for the unrighteous as a standard of judgment. Uh, the law has been fully met by Jesus Christ in what he did on the cross. Because if you look at Romans chapter 8, it says that uh, for what you know, the, uh, the law could not do because it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man for his sin offering. And he condemned sin in a sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be, might be fully met in who? Us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the law and what it is given for, it has been given. Uh, and there's a, a whole host of reasons. You go to Romans 7, you see it's there to define sin. It's there to make sin utterly sinful, in other words, so that you can really see how bad sin is. Um, and it also provokes sin in a person and all that kind of stuff. And that's why the law was given. But we are not living by the law. We have a different way of doing things. We have a new identity. And out of our new identity flows obedience to what God requires. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that leads to my next question, uh -huh. right? Which is that when you say we no longer live by the law, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There are still churches. Mm -hmm. And by we, this is the whole planet. Like okay. everybody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there are still churches, denominations, right, that believe that certain things still apply. So, for example, you've got um, Adventists, right, mm -hmm. Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. They believe that the Sabbath is on a Saturday and it must be acknowledged. I was actually having a conversation with a lady who's, um, who, who goes to that church today. And we were having a discussion about a whole bunch of things, we got into a bit of an argument. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole thing was, she was saying... Uh, you can't, you can't eat pork. You can't do this. Then I was like, why do you keep saying it like that? Uh, and I was like, why? Because you, you, if you don't do those things, you're not going to go to heaven. And whatever. 
So then, anyway, we, I ended up just dropping it because it was getting a little weird. Yeah. But the, the point is this. You still have churches that um, acknowledge things like the Sabbath, right? Further to that, you have even um, New Testament or Pentecostal churches where a lot of these prophetic churches reference the Old Testament a lot, right? A lot of their models are based on the Old Testament. And I've seen churches where, you know, there's a lot of Old Testament, a lot of focus on the Old Testament and things happen in the Old Testament, those references that are used and they're taken literally in many ways and applied to now, mm-hmm. honor the man of God, right? Because this is going to happen. And, it's, and the, the scripture that's referenced there is Elisha and Elijah, things like that. Okay. So I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say, to what extent can things in the Old Testament um, be taken literally? And I, I know not everything in the Old Testament is the law specifically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but maybe we can touch on both that there are things that are law, right? Mm-hmm. To what extent can those things st- still be applied uh, within a New Testament context. And then, you know, there are obviously examples and references and things like that. Good. Yeah. Especially since we're saying Jesus fulfilled, fulfilled the requirements exactly. of all yeah. these laws. Yeah. yeah. I mean, should I go for that? <laughs> <laughs> You're free. <laughs> you know, a lot of, in the Old Testament, it was about a nation that was called out or individuals that God uh, kind of focused on in his story through the Old Testament, and they were types of Christ. So they were foreshadowing the perfect one to come. So none were perfect. I mean, from Adam uh, through David, Abraham, uh, Isaac, you know, Joseph. Uh, when we look at each one of them, even the prophets, the judges, none of them was perfect, but they were types of Christ, pointing to a perfect one, a perfect Jesus. And, and I think that's the key of the Old Testament. Even the laws, there was... All the laws that were set up, no one was able to obey every one of the laws. Even the high priest had to make sacrifices for himself before he went in. In fact, he could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year and tie a rope around his ankle. So these were pointing to with a great hope and expectation of something to be fulfilled. And so I hope I'm answering the, the question correctly. Just want to build it up uh, well. So even the, pro- the prof- prophets, major and minor, the poetic books, were all pointing to someone and something far greater than what could happen in the Old Testament. And many were excluded. <coughs> so God chose a nation, uh, Israel, to give laws to to obey those laws, and they couldn't do that. Even God's chosen people couldn't do that. And in some instances, he would include like Rahab the prostitute and uh, Boaz and Ruth would be included somehow. And there would be others included which would point to something that maybe one day there will be others included. And then we get into the New Testament and everyone's included. And Ephesians speaks into that where he's making one new man out of the two Gentiles and Jews. And everything points to Jesus fulfilling everything that needed to be done in the Old Testament, the sacrificial ways, all of the laws, all fulfilled in Christ because of his love for us to set us free from this obligation or this kind of need to get right with God by doing something. We get right with God because of what Jesus has done, not by anything that we can do. So in the Old Testament, what do we need to obey? What do we need to do? What can we bring into the New Testament? Only a shadow, only an example, only 
something that points to something greater. And if we don't see Jesus in the Old Testament, we're really not reading it for all that it's worth. That would be my comment. And I think I've lost your question somewhere in there. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's great. I think, you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you diligently search the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, And yet they're testifying of me. And yet you refuse to come to me that I may give you life. Mm. So the scriptures, the Old Testament, even on the road to to Emmaus, you know, it says, you know, when these guys were moping and saying, oh, you know, are you the only one who hasn't heard stuff that's happened in Jerusalem? He says, he started talking from the law and the prophets. You know, revealing what they were telling about himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Old Testament points to Jesus. Yeah. But but additionally, you know, Paul also says things like uh, the things that were written, you know, in the Old were written for our encouragement. <clears throat> Sorry. And also for our instruction. Uh, and if you look at First Corinthians 10, he's using how people came in, you know, it says uh, the people of Israel were baptized into Moses. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they entered into the wilderness. But uh, not all the people who left Egypt, you know, made it to the promised land. So it is with us, you know, just because you've believed in Christ and you've said the sinner's prayer is not enough. You've got to keep on believing in him. Do not then be like those guys who through unbelief fell in the desert and didn't make it into the promised land. Mm. And so there are some things in the Old Testament that are pictures or that are principles. Let me use that word. Right. So we don't look at the letter. When we're dealing with the Old Testament, we don't deal with the letter. We deal with the principles. What is the principle that is being used there, and how can we transfer it into the into the new? Into the new. So I'll give you I'll give you an example. Uh, if you read the letter of Hebrews, he's dealing with how the sacrifices and the sacrificial system was a shadow, right, a picture of and how it's been fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. But this is what he says now, by way of exhortation to the to the guys towards the end of the letter after he's done all this. Uh, laying off a foundation, uh, you know, theologically and doctrinally, now is giving them an exhortation of how to apply these things. And this, you know, and this is what he says in verse 15 of uh, Hebrews 13. He says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So, so do you see what he's doing? He's now using the words sacrifice and giving them their true sense mm. the principle of sacrifice okay so it's no longer a goat it's no longer a, a bull or a ram mm. you know or turtle doves but now it is the praise that you offer to god that's the sacrifice right. it is that good thing you do you give a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty that is a sacrifice with which god is pleased you mm. you, you know give someone a lift after church that's a sacrifice with, with which god is pleased so it's the principles that are now coming through. Even if you look at how he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, let us, in view of the mercy of God, offer our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, uh, and so you see that we are now the sacrifice. You see, uh, the sacrifice is no longer uh, some other goat, but I laid my life down in mm-hmm. obedience. Mm-hmm. Also, if you look at the whole priestly system, we are priests. You know, you're a royal priesthood. Mm-hmm. We're not in the order of, of the Levitical priesthood anymore. We're in the order of Melchizedek, of which Jesus, that's where he is. And so we are also uh, Melchizedek priests who are operating from a place of rest, just as he finishes work and he sat down. We don't work for our salvation. So you see, there's a lot of that, of the principles mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. coming in. And even if you look at again, I mean, there's so much. First Corinthians chapter nine, when Paul is speaking about how the, you know his rights as an apostle, how people who work in the temple should eat of what's on the table, you know. And he takes that from the Old mm-hmm. Testament and says the principle applies. The Lord has made a command: mm-hmm. those who serve in the in the ministry must eat of what they do, or they must be, uh, you know, remunerated out of their service, just like the priests were. So it's a principle that is finding its uh, application also in the New Testament. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Wasu, you want to say anything? Well, I think when we look at the, the laws uh, that were given in the Old Testament, so I think that's the key because it's pretty much the story of God's love for us, our sin. We look at it, the fall, uh, sin. Uh, so creation, God loves us. He made us to glorify him. Then you look at sin, man's fall, how does God get right with us? Well, he points us with sacrifices to someone who's going to be the sacrifice, blood sacrifices, blood needed to be shared to get that right. Redemption, Jesus comes as our redeemer. So we, we look at the laws and we look at Moses and there's three different types. We like to categorize them, three different types of laws. There's the ceremonial laws, as it were, the, the laws of clean foods and what you can and can't eat. There's the law of circumcision and all these ceremonial things that they would do. Then there's also the moral law, the things that uh, reveal God's nature, you know, what God is like. So moral laws don't kill, you know, don't don't, uh, covet your neighbor's property, don't have another idolatry. So Ten Commandments are kind of moral laws. and, And I would say this is a debatable one, except for the Sabbath. I'm sure we'll get there in a moment. Uh, but there are the ten, nine commandments, which are moral laws, and then we have the Sabbath, which I believe is a ceremonial law, but that's debatable. And then you've got the judicial laws or the civil laws. So there's three different types of laws that they had to obey and get right. If they broke any one of them, even in the slightest sense, there would have to be blood sacrifice. When we come to the New Testament, and you asked the question earlier, does the whole of the Old Testament laws get set aside for a new covenant, the old covenant, the new covenant. We would say, well, it depends how many sins Jesus died for. Did he die for every sin? Or did he die for every law that was broken? And we have to say yes. You know, so there, there isn't, no one can keep any of the laws. And so Jesus is our perfect example who comes as the one who kept the whole law mm-hmm. and who dies as the perfect sacrifices as uh, Kuwaza mentioned, uh, there were the issue of the blood sacrifices and the priesthood, and Jesus is our, our high priest, and we become the royal priesthood. It's no longer Aaron and no longer the Levites. And then it's the physical temple as well, that Jesus makes us the temple. It's no longer a place or a thing that we go to. And then the food laws, you know, they always thought about things that enter you will make you unclean. Well, Jesus then said, nothing that enters you will make you unclean. Your uncleanness comes from inside your heart, the sin in your heart. And then he says in Hebrews something amazing. He says, I will write my laws on their heart, no longer on tablets of stone. So that old way, the laws on the tablets of stone are now in our hearts, in our lives, in the power of the Holy Spirit to live them out. So he not only gives us a new covenant, but he gives us new power to live it out and a revelation of Jesus fulfilling everything that we don't have to to get right with God because Jesus has done it already. So by receiving Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the laws in our hearts, we get to live out the perfect law. Is that to say, this is the big question, is that to say we don't have to obey any of the laws? And Paul would say, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? you know? Or in Romans, don't be so foolish. Romans chapter 7 
Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? No, not in the slightest, because his laws are written on our hearts and the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life bearing fruit at the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God. Okay, I, I hear a bit of overlap between mm. both of your responses. And I'd venture to say it's in the area of what you're terming as the moral law, which is where I guess the principles that mm. you carry on from the Old Testament would be also coming from without getting on to the issue of the Sabbath question. I think that's, a, that's another one we can debate. Um, so my question then becomes, okay, we, we take through the principle of what is being shown in the Old Testament and then revealed properly in the New Testament, and we act on that principle and, and the example that it is. So um, to tag on to kind of what you said at the end there, does that mean that there is therefore no value in some of the legal, the 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 how did you term it? The, the the ceremonial oh, stuff, ceremonial laws, because it's also popular these days among certain churches to bring back certain um, traditions that were in the certain festivals or whatever that were in the Old Testament as a way to honor. Mm -hmm. They they're trying to. That's what they're trying to do. But it is an Old Testament. Ceremony, if you want to put it that way. So, is there value in that, or you can just do without? Okay. So, <clears throat> maybe my position might be—I don't know—might uh, be a little bit more radical, or maybe I'm just you know, echoing exactly what's been said already. But I do believe that the law, in its entirety, I know that there's uh, those. Uh, I know guys who say, for example, uh, we follow the moral law. The ceremonial mm -hmm. law and the civil law is no longer for us, but we just go with the moral law. I'll, I'll, I'm a little more radical, and I say the whole thing, the whole shooting match is out the window. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Paul said in Galatians 5.3, you know, if you accept circumcision, then mm -hmm. I say you must, you're obligated to go by the whole law. You know, and James also said in chapter 2, verse around 10 or so, uh, he says that, uh, you know, if you break just one command, even if you keep the whole law, but you break one You've broken the whole law. So the yeah. law is a unity. And we may try to pass it out and try and say, no, well, this part and this part, but that's not how God, you know, gave it. Uh, you know, and another very interesting one is Second Corinthians 3, 7, where it says, you know, um, where, where Paul is basically saying the ministry of death that came carved on stone, mm. you know, and what was carved on stone? It was the Ten Commandments, right? Mm. So he's he's re referencing that as the ministry of death. Mm. He's not saying that the stuff that's coming in later, that's the ministry. He's saying that one which was carved in stone is the ministry of death. And so I think we need to treat the, the law as a whole. Mm. Um, and mm -hmm. I think then you don't get into trouble with, because what, what I find with those who want to do that kind of, uh, you know, yeah, se separate, the separation yeah, yeah. is, okay, the Sabbath, well, okay, but how is it a ceremonial law among the ten? Mm. And it's the only ceremonial law. How does that work? You know, and so you, you you tie yourself in knots a little bit. And I think if you just come up, and I believe that's you know what the word of God takes us. Um, the law is redundant for salvation, redundant for life and godliness. Uh, we have a new way of doing things. We have a new identity, and the New Testament has those things that it tells us. You know, even if you don't read the Old Testament, and you read Colossians. It tells you to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. You know, mm -hmm. um, it goes even further, though, doesn't it? it says, yeah, love your enemy exactly. When he's Absolutely, hungry, feed him. There's, and and then Jesus even takes it even further. He says, if you commit adultery in your heart, even if yeah. you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed, you've committed adultery. If you have exactly. anger, 
over a brother, you've murdered him already. Yeah. So Jesus takes it a notch high. He doesn't go back to the laws. He, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit to be obedient even further by loving our enemies and feeding them when they are hungry and forgiving them when they don't even say sorry. And, yeah. You know, things like that. I think Jesus takes it another notch. So I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I really, I mean, actually, what I find interesting about that is that it's, it's he says that right after, it's, it's in that same flow of when he says, I do not think I've come to abolish the law, mm. you know, <laughs> but yeah. I've come to fulfill it. Yeah. After saying that, then he says, now, guys, I want to tell you something. If you, you know, you've heard he said you should not commit adultery. Well, you look at a woman in, it would last for intent. You know, if you call your brother a fool, you, you're in danger of the fire of hell. Can you imagine mm-hmm. that? Just calling someone a fool and you're a candidate for Gehenna. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's hectic stuff. And then he speaks about divorce. You know, Moses said you can give your, your wife, a, if you don't like her anymore, give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, if you do that, except in the case of sexual immorality, you know, you are making that person an, 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 an adulterer and so are you. So it's, it's just, it blew it all out. I mean, guys were struggling to keep that to start with anyway. And then he takes it up there and basically showing you without him and his empowering influence, mm-hmm. like you said, the Holy Spirit being given to us and, you know, produces that on the inside. It's impossible mm-hmm. to live that way. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're in <laughs> more demanding times than, <laughs> than in the past. So... Let's go on to that one about the Sabbath. You're saying that it shouldn't be separated. It's part of the whole set of laws. It's it's the same mix. So if Jesus only gave us two things to really follow, he didn't mention the Sabbath amongst those two things, does that therefore mean that that's one of those that we're like, hey, it's okay, don't worry about the Sabbath. It's not, it's not uh, important. What are the two things, first of all, that you think Jesus gave us to do? What are you referring to? I'm, I'm, I'm referring to loving God yeah. and loving each other, I guess. And that's actually in- one thing. Yeah. Because loving one another is an application of loving God. So he's just given us one thing to do is to love. And Romans speaks of that. He says, but you fulfill the law through love. And that's all he's asking us to do is to love God. And as an application of our love for God, we love one another. And that's the foundation of it. But Romans, Paul says to us, don't use your freedom in Christ to cause another one to stumble. Sorry, can I just come in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, I'm going to be a little little radical about Mm -hmm. it. We say that Jesus gave us two commands. And I know this is going to cut across a lot of what people have said and believed a long time, but I'm just going to invite people to examine the scriptures as well. Uh-huh. When Jesus said those things, he, he was responding to the question, which ones, uh, what is the greatest commandment, right? And that was, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, it wasn't him saying to us, this is what you should do. He was basically saying, this, these are the greatest, the, the law and the prophets, they hang on this, it's all about love. Which is true even in the New Testament, it's all about love. Yeah. But what we need to remember is that what the gospel does is it displaces ourselves and puts Jesus at the center. Mm. That's exactly what he did again with that, when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as what? I as I have loved you. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the law, the, the reference point for love, how much you love other people, is yourself. 
love your neighbor as you love yourself. So how do I love my neighbor? How do I love me? You're, immediately, you're looking at yourself, and that's what the Lord does. It makes you yeah. look at yourself. Jesus says, no, no, if you want to understand how to love your neighbor, look at how much I have loved you, and that's a new standard. And so when we, I know that people talk about, you know, those are the greatest commandments. If you look at what John says, he says, you can't talk about loving God who you can't see if you don't love the brother that you can see. And so John mm -hmm. is basically saying the standard of knowing how much you love God is how much you love your brother. If you can't love your brother, you can't love God. Mm -hmm. But in the old covenant, love God who you cannot see and then love your neighbor. But now mm -hmm. in the other way around is the love you have for your neighbor uh, is... Uh, a picture of the love that you have toward God. So I I know that sounds radical or different or you know one side or you know one side of the coin, but we need to realize because if it's you know the love that Jesus has for us is to lay down our lives for, you know, he, yeah, he laid his life down for us, so mm -hmm. we are to do the same. Because if you love yourself, you're never going to put yourself in jeopardy or in harm. So you will always. Self-preservation comes in the whole loving yourself. But when you love others as Christ loved you, you're willing to lay your life down for the sake of your brother. So I think it's a very important uh, distinction to make, even though it sounds like it's splitting hairs, but it's more than that. Okay, so would, it be would I be correct in saying, because you, you, you said that the, the scriptures point out that all the other scriptures hang on, on, on that principle. The Lord and the prophets. Yeah. So, so, would I therefore be correct in saying that if I am going to be operating in love of my brother, of, of God, then I will automatically want to uphold the Sabbath or a Sabbath or whatever. Will I automatically therefore want to fulfill the other laws? Is that what's there? It's a great question. And I think the... We fulfill the moral law. So moral law it points to God and what he's like. And we become like Christ in the fulfillment of moral law. So I would say that the ceremonial laws and the judicial laws uh, were for a specific nation. Judicial specific nation, Israel. Uh, ceremonial laws uh, for specific people to make them right with God. Moral laws reflect God's nature and character. And those are the ones that are fundamental to our being when we become uh, believers, Christians. And so I would say that Christ enables us in the power of his Holy Spirit to be obedient to those laws with the motivation of love. Now, we can't love anyone with our own love or self-effort. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us to do that. The moment I start thinking in my own self-effort that I've got to love a brother, I will fall apart and I'll fail to do that to the level that Jesus did it. I would not die for anyone of my own self-effort. But when I think about Christ and I take him on, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I would take a bullet for anybody. And so what it does for us when we become believers and filled with the Holy Spirit is enables us to fulfill the laws. And I would say this, and that's probably the disagreement we may have here, is that the <laughs> ceremonial laws and the, so all laws fulfilled in Christ. He's done away with all of the law. But the law of Christ is fulfilled by love for one another, and he empowers us to, to bear good fruit, to do good works. Uh, and good works are acts of righteousness. Acts of righteousness are not murdering our brother, but it's even more than that. It's loving our enemy who wants to murder us. So it takes us to a new level, the love of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, 
That's what we're trying to say is that it's not just obeying the law at that level. It's taking us to a whole new level and empowering us with the Holy Spirit to be obedient to those. When it comes to the Sabbath, and I, I want him to interject if we want to cut off there. But when it comes to the Sabbath, I believe my personal conviction is that Christ is our Sabbath. So the Sabbath was a foreshadow of Jesus, that we operate out of rest. The Sabbath day was given as a day to rest. I mean, you couldn't even pick up sticks or light a fire on that day. And, and the consequence for breaking the Sabbath, for picking up sticks on a Sabbath, was you'd be stoned to death. You know, the, the consequence for lighting a fire to keep you warm, say you're cold, you can't even light a fire to keep you warm because you'd be stoned to death. I mean, how ridiculous is that without offending God to, to ask people you know, <laughs> to ask people to do that and have that kind of consequence but Jesus paid every consequence when we receive him when we acknowledge him and the Sabbath becomes an opportunity to work out of the rest that God gives us see the Sabbath was pointing to fulfill all this do all that and on a on a Sabbath day come and worship me come and come and serve me to honor me on that day we get to say every day is a Sabbath now Every day is holy unto the Lord. But Paul says, and he stretches it a bit further, Romans 14, he says, don't judge anybody who considers a Sabbath day as more important one Sabbath than the other or one food more important than others. And he even says, don't use your freedom in Christ, those who are mature in Christ, don't use that freedom to cause another brother to stumble. So in our love for one another, we should not cause others to stumble who want to obey a law to keep the Sabbath and not condemn them for doing that, but even to honor them and attend with them on a Saturday Sabbath day if they invite you to, not in protest to say, no, that's not a Sabbath day. Don't stumble somebody else. If someone offers you food or, or says, no, we don't eat pork here or you know, we don't drink alcohol, when you're going out for a meal, you don't order alcohol because you don't want to stumble another brother. So that's the level of love that we have for one another, that we don't use our freedom within that to do. And I think that includes the Sabbath. I believe it does. Hmm. That's um, interesting. Um, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think here, and as, as you're saying about Christ being the Sabbath, you have Colossians 2.16 says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Mm -hmm. So the Sabbath is right there along with all the other festivals as a shadow. Uh, and just, and I think I really like to, there's something that Sean said that's very, very important about, you know, all the days, you know, have become a Sabbath. Yeah. I think one of the things that you will find when you have, as you mentioned, this discussion that you had or an argument, I don't know what you want to call it, a mm -hmm. debate, <laughs> a discussion, you know, I don't know, um, is that, a lot of the time, what the, the, the accusation of those that hold to the Sabbath, to those that do not, is that you are bringing the Sabbath day down to the level of every other day of the week. Right. But what we need to explain or understand ourselves, if we say we live every day like it was a Sabbath, is to know that we have taken each day of the week and taken it and elevated it to the level of the Sabbath. I don't know if in your circles how mm -hmm. maybe you've heard people say things like, you know, aren't you ashamed lying on a Sunday? You know, have you, I don't know if you've heard yeah. people say that, you yeah. know. Um, and the people who won't go and see their small house on a Sunday or they won't drink alcohol on a Sunday. Or they, you know what I mean? Because 
even if they're not really like <laughs> religious or they, they they don't go to church much mm. because it's, it's in them to say it's a Sunday we, it's a holy day you know yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, Monday I will go and do my my nonsense but today is a day that I don't even lie and what we're basically saying is we we have taken that to say today is a Monday today is a Tuesday today is a it's a day that the Lord has made. Let us be you know, rejoice and be glad in it. Every single day of the week is a day when we're not supposed to go and see our small house. Every single day of the week is a day that we're not supposed to lie or to drink alcohol to drunkenness. You know, that's what we believe. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I think that needs to come through to those that who, uh, you know, who maybe we may have these discussions and, you know, uh, these debates when they say you guys are devaluing the Sabbath. No, what we're doing is we have taken every day and given it the value that you're giving only once a week. I mean, I'd add to yeah. that, if I can, that, you know, the first century apostles actually didn't observe the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. As a day. After Jesus rose again from the dead, we can't find any evidence in the New Testament that the apostles, the disciples of Christ, observed the Sabbath. The day Jesus rose again, the Pentecost was the first Sunday of the church, the birthday of the church, and from then on, the first day of the week, that's when they met. It is true that they visited synagogues and they would preach in synagogues, yeah. but not observing the, the the Sabbath as a day not to work. I mean, even Jesus didn't observe. So that's the big question. It's like, whoa, Jesus sinned on the by not observing the Sabbath? No, Jesus didn't sin at all. And he was proclaiming a message about himself that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. You know, he would... He would even argue that we can take a donkey out of a pit on a Sabbath. They would uh, break uh, wheat or barley on the Sabbath, you know, and and serve on the Sabbath and help a neighbor on the Sabbath. That was that was to be stoned, you know, if you were part of the Old Testament. And Jesus did it before he died on the cross for us. So he pointed to something different and showed us that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And the apostles and disciples didn't observe the Sabbath from the first from Pentecost on the first Pentecost. All right, so in light of all of this, I guess one more question. Um, Sounds like we're we're, we're beholden to a higher standard, um, which does not eradicate the previous, but is is, is more than, way more than. So now you find yourself in a space where they are really holding to the Old Testament. And like we said, if you see them doing this, it's, it's, they're doing it unto the Lord anyway. They, they're trying in their own way. What, do you hold, does a Christian who maybe knows this other side have a responsibility in any way regarding that kind of scenario? Or do you just go along with it and ride the wave? <laughs> <laughs> or, or are you at any point in time supposed to say, ah, you guys have this kind of wrong, you are now getting a bit lost because you're too stuck on the day? Yeah. Or do you let them hold that day? They're doing it for Christ. Yeah. Do you let them do it? You know, I like what Paul does in Romans 14. He says, as, as regards myself, I hold that nothing is unclean. So he puts his position out very clearly. But then he says, if something is unclean for someone else, I will not eat meat ever again if, if, you know, if my brother's around and he's got a weak faith. So he's not just saying, oh, well, you know, just choose whatever, you know, be convinced in your mind. He's saying, this is where I stand. Um, and now, but, you know, because it's a letter that he's writing, I'm very sure if he was asked to give the reasons for what he believed, he would be able then to say things mm-hmm. like how Jesus 
you know, said that it's not what comes, it goes into a man that makes a man clean, but what comes out of them. And then the scripture says that Jesus declared all things clean. So I reckon with those kind of things, um, it's about the platform you have. If yeah. you're coming across, you know, and you're just joining in and people are doing what they're doing, you don't have uh, the platform to then discuss these things. Then it's best to just ride the wave. Or if it's too much for you, just take your leave. Um, remember, the scripture says we're not to dispute, we're not to have arguments about these things. So if you look true. at that in Romans 14, Very it true. says we're not to, but, and that's why I want to encourage people, especially with the Sabbath question, mm. from a practical point of view. If you find someone wants to debate you on the Sabbath issue, lay out your position and then let that be. Don't, don't feel like you need to change them. I like something that John Piper once said, I read this and it was so powerful. He said, weak faith is saving faith, you know? Mm-hmm. It's faith that will get people to heaven. So even though it's better to have strong faith, but if they have weak faith and they persist in it, it is saving faith and they'll make it to heaven and they will not stumble. So it's not our duty to necessarily change everybody and get yeah. everyone to think the way that we do. I like what Paul has got a principle again in, in, uh, in, in Colossians, I think it says. Um, it could be Philippians. He says, um, if on any matter you think differently, that too the Lord will make clear to you. Mm. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. So live up to what you have attained. If we have disputes and differences, may the Lord clarify it uh, mm. to you. And then we move on. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would say uh, similar and agree with that. And I would say uh, Paul helps us with this in Romans again. And he says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. And I I think that's got to be our goal. If we really love one another, we want to live at peace with one another and not not kind of wrestle over or be antagonistic about our own perspectives or points of view, Mm -hmm. but rather lay down our own perspectives and points of view to hear another's. And to listen deeply and carefully and ask questions rather than make sweeping statements uh, to them and, and accusations. Well, you don't understand this and that. And so the best way that I could encourage our listeners is to humbly listen, always listen, ask questions, but not in an antagonistic way. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another and, and gain some information from someone. And if for them, that's their honoring of the Lord, celebrate that with them. Don't despise it. Don't ridicule it. Don't kind of make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. But celebrate that they're honoring the Lord with the faith that they have. Mm-hmm. You know, however, perhaps it's greater faith than yours. You know, maybe you're on the position of little faith. And everything that we want to do and talk about is to increase our faith and love for God and love for one another for the sake of joy and for the sake of advance of the kingdom. Rather than being stuck up and tight-lipped, and uh, we can start becoming legalistic and needing to obey and stick to the laws. And that's not really going to win anybody, although it'll win those who want to be self-righteous and feel like they've earned their salvation by holding to these legalistic tendencies that we give. So that's the danger of the law or upholding the law, encouraging people, this is the right way, that's the wrong way. Uh, We're also to call out those, if we have relationship with them, who have gone astray in their doctrine. And to be able to speak to them one-on-one first, you know, if you see him sinning in his doctrine or her sinning in, a, in their doctrine or, or going astray, we're to call them and sit down with them and, and question them and say, I, I think you've got it wrong there. Help me understand more. 
Why are you saying that? And our job is to use scripture to rebuke, to teach, to encourage, to inspire, and to be able to work it out together. And if the person refuses uh, and there's somebody else with you, say, hey, well, let's chat with another brother and see if we can work this out better. And then we agree to disagree. If it's not a matter of salvation or a secondary doctrine or a secondary issue, if it's not essential for salvation and unity, and then we agree to disagree, and, and that's okay. We can part ways faithfully by maintaining peace. Hmm. I love the fact that uh, the overarching theme is, is love. Mm. You know, that um, love has to be the, the, the supreme ethic, mm. you know, so to speak. And I, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we end up having all these arguments and all this, all this labeling of one another is because I think sometimes we get so caught up in, in what we believe in and what we think is right. Mm-hmm. And then we, we lose the main essence of what serving God is all about. So, mm-hmm. so thank you, gentlemen, for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I guess we're closing. And hey, yeah, if I can say anything <laughs> to the audience. Uh, one thing I think we ought to take away is that uh, every day <laughs> is the Sabbath. I like that. Personally, I, I really like that that notion. It's a much wider idea than it's few words. Yeah, I actually think it's a lot of pressure, to be honest. <laughs> but not, yeah. if, not if you feel like you're having to obey the laws of the Sabbath, but if yeah. you're free and from freedom and from, uh, you know, freshness of God filling you with His Holy Spirit to... Yeah. To celebrate that every day is the Lord's day. He rose again on a Sunday, but every day the Lord is still risen. That's yeah. if we celebrate it in that way, I it like frees that. us. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my parting words. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So from me, Cookie Monster. And biscuit. We out. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Radiant Culture Podcast. If you want to make a contribution, make a suggestion, or have a request, you can get in touch with us via email on radiantatthehub.co.zw or inbox us on Facebook and Twitter. Look out for the next episode and remember to share this one with everybody you know. God bless. It's hot. It's fresh. It's uncut. Hashtag Real Talk on the Radiant Culture Podcast.